I love this church and I love the people in it. You guys feel very, very much like family to me. Yep. So on that note, let me pray for us. Father, we invite you into this place. And God, we don't take lightly that your presence is here. (laughs) I love that. Better is one day in your house, better is one day in your courts and a thousand days elsewhere. So God, this morning as we open up your word and the brevity of the scriptures that we're going to open up, God, I pray that they would land, that they would pierce us. God, plant it way deep in us. And may this message of hope just grow and flourish. We love you and we honor you, God for your fame and for your renown. Have your way, have your way, have your way in this place and in our hearts. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. So last week, um, we kicked, Craig kicked off this series where we are talking about heaven. Um, And I don't know what images come to your mind when you think about heaven and what it's like. But for me growing up, the way heaven was depicted sounded nice, but I really wasn't sure I wanted to go. Um, one image that was depicted was that we would all be pudgy babies with wings flying around from cloud to cloud, playing a harp and holding a bow and arrow. Another image was that it was going to be one long perpetual worship service in a coliseum, singing forever with some bald guy in a toga. And he's up on stage and he's conducting and he's using an overhead transparency, putting one transparency after another forever. And I like singing as much as the next person, but forever? I don't know about that. Another idea is that we are all just souls passing through each other like Casper the ghost, which can be a really scary thought as a child because in heaven you want to at least to be able to hug your mom and dad and not just feel like a cloud. When you grow up with pictures um, and images like that in your head, it's not a big motivator to get excited about heaven. That is, until they introduced hell, (laughs) H-E-L-L. And you're like, oh, actually, I'm all good with that harping cloud thing. Yeah, yeah, I'm all good with that. And singing forever, no problem. I will even volunteer to work that overhead transparency. I I, I will do that with a good attitude. Just don't send me to that other place. Um, I like that quote that Craig mentioned last week where he said, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. You see, everybody, not just Christians, are at one time or another interested in the subject matter and has formed, even subconsciously, um, an opinion or point of view about it. Other religions have points of view about it, and those with no religion have points of view about it. During the It's It's Hope series, I mentioned the actor, comedian, and staunch atheist Ricky Gervais and his series on Netflix called Afterlife. Um, It's probably, honestly, one of the most depressing series I have ever watched, like ever. One episode after the other, he's this guy who's lost his wife to cancer and in his deep grief, he's horrible to everybody around him. This series, I just kind of felt it was just so hopeless. 
And the whole thing ends with him trying to eke out as much as life has to offer because he believes this is all there is. It's just this life. There's no afterlife. And so he thinks he's going to have some happiness by going out on a date. The end. Why tell you that? Well, spoiler alert, season two is coming out of the afterlife. Now, there is a guy who is trying to wrestle some things through, amen? Praying for you, Ricky Gervais. <laughs> and I hope he finds God in the midst of that, even in the filming. But for many in our society, the afterlife or death is also like the elephant in the room that no one really wants to talk about. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says this. It says, he, God, has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. That is so true. Our finite brains find it hard to grasp the wonder and imagine all that God has in store for us. You know, the title of the series um, is so perfect. It's from 1 Corinthians 2, um, 9 that says, what no eye has seen nor ear heard, um, nor the heart of man imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. But I love the verse that comes straight after this. It says, only God's spirit can reveal these things to us. And I think if the enemy could do anything to us, it would be to blind us and cloud us from the reality of eternity and how the short moment called life impacts everything about us and how we contemplate our end, what we think about it, what we believe about it, really, church, affects how we live our lives now because we're living out of that belief. My prayer is that you and I would consider deeply and how we can all leverage the time we have been given and to leave awake, leave an imprint on this earth for his glory and become the people of God God wants us to be and who he created us to be. You see, we've been given an amazing opportunity to embrace what the world fears most, especially what's going on in Taronga at the moment, yeah? To celebrate what the world wants to avoid at all costs. You see, death is death for those who don't follow Jesus. But for those of us who are in Christ, death is life. Death is life. For those of you that weren't here last week, Craig showed this picture of the Aventine um, keyhole in Rome. Craig said, and I love this, that as you step up and look through this keyhole, what you see is St. Peter's Basilica. He said that as people look through the keyhole, one person at a time, they're like, wow, wowed by what they see. I haven't been able to get this picture out of my mind all week. You see, during the series, we're going to look at remarkable pictures from scripture to see what keyhole clues God has given us about our future and what he teaches us about eternity is all about. And I say keyhole because there is so much we don't know. So much is still a mystery. But there's stuff that we can know. I heard someone describe it this way. It said, he said that it's trying to explain heaven to a four-year-old. <laughs> you see, for them, the best they can picture or hope heaven to be is, will there be chocolate? <laughs> 
that's all they can imagine. And yes, there will be chocolate. I mean, there's so much we don't know. So our focus this morning is what happens to us, what happens to our bodies when we die? Like how I just kind of snuck that right in there. That's how Craig pitched it to me too. He just kind of snuck it right in there and then kind of left. Um, So what does happen to us at the moment of our death? You see, when we die, our spirit instantly departs from our body. And I know that sounds obvious, but let's just start there. The moment we take our last breath on earth, your spirit, which is you, the person of you, the personality of you, the intellect of you, the emotion of you, the spirit of you instantly leaves your body the moment of physical death. Ecclesiastes 12 says that the dust returns to the ground and the spirit returns to God who gave it. And I know that there are those of you here who have been in that holy space at bedsides, in hospitals, with loved ones, and have experienced that holy moment when someone takes their last breath. And it's evident, and it's evident in an instant that their spirit, their essence has left their body. And it happens like that. And we realize that as much as our bodies are incredible and God created, that they're just fragile vessels, jars of clay that transport us around during our time here on earth. So, where do we go? (laughs) For those of us who are believers in Jesus and have put their faith in Jesus in church, that is the keyhole lens that we are looking through this morning. At the moment of death, our spirit leaves our body. Our spirit is present and conscious with Jesus. In Philippians 1, when Paul was in prison and he thought he might be killed, he starts his contemplation about whether or not he wants to live or die. And he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Which I will choose, I cannot tell, for I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is better. You see, Paul's assumption when he wrote to the Philippians was that the moment I die, I'm with Christ and that would be better. The instant of my death, my spirit separates from my body and I'm at home with the Lord. I depart and I'm with him. You see it in Luke 23, when Jesus is on the cross and the thief next to him says, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And what does Jesus say? Someday we will sort this all out? No, he says, truly I tell you today, today you will be with me in paradise. Acts 7, when Stephen was being stoned to death, it says, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out these incredible words, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And and when he said this, he fell asleep. You see, the physical body fell asleep. That fell asleep is a euphemism for death in the ancient world but his spirit went to be with God. You see, to be absent from the body is to be immediately present with the Lord. So what does that look like? Are we just going to be disembodied spirits floating around? I don't know. But Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 gives us a keyhole look at this. 
Paul is writing to Jesus' followers and he talks about the old body and the new body. We are going to have the earthly life and the heavenly life. And he says this. For we know that this earthly tent we live in, when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will not put on heavenly, for we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and we sigh, but it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. I think that's beautiful imagery. So what is Paul trying to tell us here? Paul is talking about the physical life. He says that in this physical world, we groan because this world is broken. I mean, how many here know exactly what that's like? <laughs> Paul is like, we are facing death every day. And in this physical tent, we groan as life gets hard and bodies start to break down. Backs start to creak and ankles start to pop and hearing gets hard and eyesight starts to go. I mean, you should see how big my font is on this paper. It's like massive. It's like 62. <clears throat> the other day, I heard a sports commentator talking about a 25-year-old ice skater saying that he was considered an old man in the ice skating world. And I'm like, old man at 25? Really? It's amazing. So is the goal just to get out of this thing, just to unzip this earth suit and fly away? Is that what Paul is saying? No. He says, while we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. What's he talking about? Paul is saying the final goal for us is not disembodied soulhood. I mean, those that have gone before us are present with the Lord, absolutely. And what that fully looks like, we don't know. But I do find it interesting, though, that in the transfiguration of Jesus in Matthew 17, when Jesus says transfigured in his glory and his face shone like the sun, Moses and Elisha are there talking and conversing with Jesus. The disciples, Peter, James, and John are there. And notice that they do not have to be told who Moses and Elijah are. They recognize them. They know exactly who they are. And in Luke 16, Jesus tells this parable about a guy called Lazarus, not the same one who was raised from the dead. And it says that when Lazarus dies, he's instantly taken to Abraham's side where he is conscious, aware, and enjoying the presence of Abraham and all, that is, and all those that have gone before him. So death for us is not disembodied soulhood or soul sleep or a long period of unconsciousness between life on earth and life in death. We are conscious and present with God. And whatever that fully looks like, I love what Paul has to say next. He says this. He said, God himself 
Can we just stop right there for just a minute? Church, can we just celebrate the fact that because of Jesus, death has lost its sting and the grave has lost its power to intimidate us or make us feel afraid because that is what we were made for. God himself has made us for this. There will be a moment when what is mortal will be swallowed up by death, no, by life, by life. God is going to do an amazing thing because the mortal me will be swallowed up in the life of him. This is God's incredible plan for us. This is what he made us for. This is what he had in mind the whole time. God himself has prepared us for, the, for us. And as a guarantee, as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. So we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. For we live by believing and not by seeing. Yes, we are fully confident and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies for then we will be at home with the Lord. How can we be sure that all this is going to happen? How can we be so sure of heaven and how can we be so sure of eternity for us? Because God has given us a down payment of his spirit and his spirit is now resident in the mortal me, the mortal you reminding me, reminding you that there is an, an immortal me to come. I mean, that's an incredible guarantee. We have a deposit already paid into our life by the Holy Spirit. Paul is saying that for the Jesus follower at death, our spirit leaves our body and our spirit is present with God. And again, I'll say it again, for to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But that is not the end of the story. The end is not the taking off of the earthly. It's the redemption of even the physical world. That's the hope. Because the other thing that happens to us when we die, and this is amazing, is that when Jesus comes back in his second coming and the resurrection of the dead, our bodies and our spirits will be reunited and perfected. When Jesus returns from, in the great resurrection from the dead, all the grays of the world will be emptied. Can you just picture it? Zombie apocalypse, I don't know. It's going to be emptied and then resurrected. And our bodies will be resurrected and perfected in an instant and rejoined with our spirit. We are not going to be disembodied spirits floating around like Casper the ghost. No, our physical bodies and spirits will be reconnected in eternity. You see, God loves your body. God created you and conceived you in your mother's womb. And he loves who he made you to be. Our bodies and our spirits will be made new so we can dwell with him forever. We will have new bodies that can actually handle being in God's glorious presence. And I know for a lot of us, we know exactly, we know exactly what kind of bodies we want. We do. We want to be younger and slimmer and tall like Stu Phelps, yeah? Yeah. <clears throat> we want to look like that. And we want to know, is there a website I can kind of shop and choose what kind of body I'm going to get? Like, I want that one. But I have no doubt <laughs> that the body God has for us, the one that he's making himself for each one of us, isn't that an incredible thought, that he himself will make 
that we will be blown away by it. And it will be you. And we will know it's you. And yes, I think we will be able to recognize each other in heaven. We will not be trying to guess who you are. Like that voice count sounded familiar. Who are you again? What's your name again? No, we will know that it's you. And I love that because I'm terrible at remembering names, but that's not going to happen in heaven. I love that. We will not be some mashed up generic human being form. Our bodies and spirits are made new and reunited forever. You see, God loves the physical world. We see in Genesis 1 and 2, God doesn't just create the immaterial world. God is just not just creating wispy clouds and stuff. God likes dirt and makes the physical world. And seven times he calls it good. That, that dirt is good. That tree is good. That food is good. That body is good. He likes the physical world. And we see that so beautifully in Luke 24. When the resur- after the resurrection, Jesus appears to his disciples and it says this. It says, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. And they were startled and frightened, I bet they were, thinking they saw a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do, you, why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones. You see, um, you, as you see, I have. And he says this. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, and I love this, do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it in their presence. I love this. Jesus says, I'm not a ghost. I'm not some disembodied soul. No, touch me. I have flesh and bones. And then he eats a fish and it doesn't fall to the ground. Timothy Keller a fantastic Christian author and scholar says that this is his favorite verse in the whole of the Bible, that they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it in their presence. God loves the physical world. And in heaven, there will be touching and hugging and dancing and feasting on broiled fish. Lots of it. I love it. And that's how it was always meant to be. And that is why Genesis 3 is so incredibly tragic. In the Garden of Eden, when Eve was tempted by the serpent to eat the fruit that God said shouldn't be eaten. And as Eve takes a bite of the fruit, John Milton put it in his book, Paradise Lost, says how earth feels the woe that creation sitting on her seat sighs because she knew that everything was lost. This beautiful garden, this beautiful world that God created for us to enjoy and to discover and flourish and, and build in as we walk and dwell with him was lost with just one bite. And in a tragic moment, death enters the picture and death has consequences. It's domino effect is brokenness, 
Now the relationship between humanity and self is broken. And you and I know what this is like. Fear and anxiety enter the picture. And there are times when you feel like the stranger, even in your own body. There are times when you don't even recognize yourself. And maybe it was something that you said or how you treated someone. And you stop and you're like, who am I right now? It's part of Genesis 3. Another relationship that gets destroyed is between humanity and humanity. Now we are naked and ashamed in front of each other. Shame and hiding now into the picture. And now there is war in between the genders. Man against woman, woman against man, woman against woman, and man against man. And a couple of days ago, I just opened up my Twitter feed, and there's like this slinging match going on between the genders, and it's happening in the church. And then another relationship that gets shattered is between humanity and creation. Now the ground is cursed. God said, through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. And it will produce thorn and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You see, it was never meant to be this way. You were meant to have union with creation, looking after it and tending it, and creation yielding its fruit to us. But now the relationship with the physical world is broken and now we experience aging and diseases. And the other broken relationship and the most tragic of all is between humanity and God. Because now their master has shifted. Their master is no longer him, but now their master becomes death. You see, Jesus' primary goal through his death and resurrection is to make sure that Genesis 3 does not have a single victory. The cross is dedicated to eradicating the domino effect of death and brokenness of all these relationships and making them whole and making them new. And the hope for the Christian in the New Testament is not disembodied soulhood and floating around. It's a new body on a new earth on a recreation of all of this. It is the day that Jesus comes back to fix all of this, to fix, to eradicate the curse as far as it is found. The ground, the trees, your broken body, your pain, your grief, and to wipe away your tears, Revelation 21 tells us. And I love how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 15. He says this. It is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. He says this, but let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. And it will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when that trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. And he says this, then 
when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? <laughs> so what will heaven be like? It will be the world restored, redeemed, made new because of Christ's sacrifice. Heaven will be a celebration of the restoration of all that is broken. And that reality means that all we do, church, all we do in this place and outside these doors has meaning and purpose now because it is all shot through with hope. Death is called the final enemy. And our Savior Jesus beat death. And because he died and beat death, so will we. And because he rose from the dead, so will we. That's our King. And let the wonder of that resize our problems here and now as we have a King who can render the heavens. And eternity, eternity is relationship. We, we will be with him. And at the end of the day, that's what matters. And so our questions of, are there streets of gold in heaven? And what about that sea of glass and sapphire and onyx? Hey, don't worry about that. The only things that matters is we with him. It's relationship forever. And this living, breathing hope that we have in Christ changes me, changes you, changes us as we move and navigate in this world. And so meanwhile, when we pray, let's pray for his kingdom to come, his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen and amen. If I'm honest, I didn't want to do this message, but I needed to do this message. <laughs> it's been a rough couple of months. In October of um, this year, many of you know that I lost, um, Robin Chester went home to be with the Lord. She was my ministry partner at Sirius Coffee for 18 years. And she was not only a close friend, she was like a sister to me. And on Christmas Eve, I lost my little sister, Christina. She was 45 and she died of a massive brain hemorrhage. And I tell you, the grief was immense. You have no idea. And there was a real quietness in my soul, something I really hadn't experienced before in the depths, just a real silence, if that makes sense. And when I was at my mom's in California, um, one morning I got up really early and grabbed a cup of coffee. And the sun was starting to rise and it was beautiful because it had snowed that morning. And I walked outside and I'm drinking my coffee. And I, I just had a real quiet in my soul that I've never experienced before. And honestly, I just kind of felt God kind of nudge me and say in my spirit, 
You want to talk about it? <laughs> and all I could say was, God, why didn't you heal my sister? I begged you. I prayed. God, where were you? Why didn't you do it? Silence. And as I kind of sat there watching that sunrise, I felt the answer come. And I felt God say to me, Monica, <laughs> there were only ever going to be two answers to your prayer. Yes and yes. I was either going to heal your sister or heal your sister. <laughs> I was either going to save her life or save her life. Every promise in me is yes and amen. It's yes and yes. I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe it? And I spilled my cup and I said, yes, yes. My sister and Robin are alive like they've never been alive. They are present and conscious with the Lord. And I have no doubt that they have met each other and that they're telling stories all about me because there's many to tell. There's many, many to tell. California Monica, New Zealand Monica. It's like, oh my goodness. But church, that is our hope. <laughs> we have the hope of heaven in us. We have the hope of heaven. My prayer is that it would inspire you, that it would so motivate us to share this truth and this hope with the broken world, even in our city. Yeah? Lord, we love you. Why don't we stand and worship our King?